Thank you, Taylor. It is a real honor for me to be here. I uh, also have the uh, privilege of having my wife, and two of our children are in the back, and two more are in the kids' area, and so it's been cool. We've been we've been warmly welcomed today, and uh, I was just chatting with Jeannie a moment ago, and, and she just said, this is refreshing, and it really is. And then I kind of got caught up in the moment with my family, and I thought, you know, Kobe, uh, you could be a preacher someday. And he said, eh. And I said, well, maybe you can lead worship someday. Meh. I was like, well, what do you want to do? I want to be a rapper. <laughs> and so this morning we have one call to the ministry of uh, rapping. So maybe someday. So maybe someday. I, uh, you know, Taylor um, is a guy that I, in many ways, look up to. He, he's a friend in ministry, and it's been a joy for me to to walk with him and uh, to get to know Robin just a little bit and just to hear a bit about what God's doing in this area of the city. Um, we planted Neartown Church five years ago, so we're still very young. We just celebrated five years. But one thing that I knew in starting a church in the inner city, having come out of a very large church, is that for us to see the kingdom of God push forward in the city, for people that are far from God to experience the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we needed collaboration, we needed uh, people who are willing to link arms and say we care about something larger than just our own smaller gatherings. And, and so we're committed to that. And so one thing that I've begun doing in 2016 is I've just uh, begun to take a step, a shift in focus from my congregation that I lead and make myself available to serve these guys and just to fill in when needed. And so it's a real joy to be here with you all. John uh, is a really incredible book of the Bible. And um, I just want to add to, by explaining these passages, what Taylor has already said. As you may already know, in John 10, um, verse 31 the writer says that the purpose of his words are so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. So it's been my observation, and maybe it's yours, that, that uh, people generally desire a fulfilling life, right? I mean, that is a common desire. And, and uh, I've noticed in Houston especially large city, lots of people, a lot going on, that there's such a fast pace, and people are trying in different ways to find fulfillment. And certainly there are those that are offering guidance to many people. Uh, there's one gal that's becoming wildly popular, and her name is Lori Deshen, and she has this movement called Tiny Buddha, and she's written some books, and it's based on Buddhism, and she wrote this uh, book called 50 Ways You Can Start Living a More Fulfilling Life. And here's what she suggests. Turn your focus from something you don't want to something you do want. Things like start something you always assumed it was too late to do. She says, take on urban foraging, which I don't even know what that means. I guess pluck your neighbor's, you know, lemon tree or something. I'm not even sure what that means, but it sounds kind of hipster, which I try to be. Um, <laughs> She says, wear an interesting t-shirt, something funny or nostalgic. So if you're really wondering how to experience a fulfilling life, go down and get you an interesting t-shirt. And you know, it's interesting as I read these, and they're not bad, but 
And certainly they're thought-provoking, but the essence of what she's saying, which I think represents the essence of what the larger culture is saying to us, is that to experience a fulfilling life, we must focus on ourselves. But the claim of Christianity is that we cannot find ultimate meaning in anything other than, or fulfillment in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the claim of the Bible, and that's the conviction of this church, and certainly a passion that, that is beginning to pour out from the people that follow Christ in this congregation to those that are all around you every single day. That there is no other way to find fulfillment, the kind of fulfillment that everybody wants, than through Jesus Christ. And this is considered insane, and certainly this kind of a claim will create debate in our city and maybe among your friends and the people that you're around. Well, you're in good company because as Taylor mentioned, the words of Jesus in John chapter 10 uh, created some controversy. People thought he was insane. People got confused by what he was saying. But what I want you to understand, and if you're taking notes or you want to tweet something or whatever, you know how you do on your phone when you get bored and you start looking at your Facebook and taking notes, you know? Here it is. Jesus is the way to a fulfilling life. It's not complex. Jesus is the way to a fulfilling life. When we first began Near Town, I knew early on that we wanted to, to adopt an unreached people group somewhere in the world. It was kind of crazy because we had no money and really no interest at that point from our people because we were so new, so many new people to Christ. And and so we, we found, made a connection with some people in the Horn of Africa, and my heart has always been in some ways um, stirred by this idea that there are places in the world where there are not a lot of gospel resources, not a lot of people willing to share Christ. And uh, in this part of the world, there's not a lot, and uh, so we adopted this Unreached People group, and I went on a few trips to, to the Horn of Africa. And on one trip in particular, we were, uh, we were going with our very small team, and the local missionaries to meet with a tribe that was in a really remote area in the Horn of Africa. And, uh, and I'll never forget the day that as we've been traveling by bus all day on some really bad roads, and then we get out and we begin to hike for several hours to meet this group of people, I began to hear from the missionaries that lived there about a man who had converted to Christ, and in doing so, he was um, ostracized from his family, he lived daily with the threat of violence. He lost the privilege of the land that his family owned. But yet he was passionate about this idea that through Christ, there is salvation and ultimate fulfillment. And so I, I knew that of all the things that we were going to do there with some medical care and some, some really basic teaching and hopefully the opportunity to share the gospel, I knew that I wanted to meet this guy. And sure enough, after a very long day of travel, we got there and the man was there. And through two translators, because the language he spoke was a very uh, unique uh, language in, in the country, through two translators, I asked him, I said, how is it? that you got to the point where you chose to follow Christ as the way to really living the life God wanted you to live, knowing that you were going to lose everything. And through two translators, he says to me, imagine that you were walking along a road 
and there's a fork in the road, and down one road is nothing because the leader of its movement is dead, and he was referring to Islam. And down the other road is Jesus, who's alive and well. Which road would you choose? And he said to me as as passionately and as much or more as I've ever been moved by anything, I listened to him talk about Jesus as the way to a fulfilling life. And never did he regret it, choosing Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus paints this picture that would have been very familiar to those that were listening. It's not as familiar to us because of the area that we live in. Very few of you have sheep and a gatekeeper and a gate. Raise your hand if you have owned any sheep. Probably somebody in the Heights has some sheep in their backyard, right? So he paints this picture by explaining to these that Verse 10, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the gate is the door, by the, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice strangers. So in this passage, what Jesus is beginning to do is reveal his true identity to those that are listening. There's an allegory which includes the characters of flock, sheep, shepherd, hired hand, and the gate. This picture was an everyday picture in Jewish life, and certainly it pervades the Old Testament language. As you may know, God himself is called Israel's shepherd, and the people of God are called the sheep of his pasture. Now, it may be interesting to note to you that uh, in the Near East culture, which is the time that this was written and would have applied to, shepherd, and it actually happens today in, in the Eastern culture, shepherds lead their sheep by calling them by name, by beckoning them with their voice. It's a very gentle way of leading the sheep, whereas in the West, shepherds usually drive their sheep. That's an interesting thing. We could talk about that over lunch, maybe. But in the West, shepherds drive their sheep, and they they sort of force their sheep to do things. Well, this isn't the kind of uh, leadership and shepherding that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the drawing, the calling out. And so these sheep are in a pen. There's a gate, and the gate could probably be locked. And at the gate, oftentimes, there was a gatekeeper because within the pen were multiple flocks. And so Jesus is telling the story about there's a gatekeeper, and sometimes he was hired, and he would stand watch there to, and so that when the shepherd would come, the gatekeeper would make sure that the shepherd was actually calling the right sheep and wasn't jumping over the wall like a thief to get somebody else's sheep or to harm the sheep or to, um, to do something that they weren't supposed to do. Um, the, and so Jesus paints this picture, and maybe you're feeling like those that were listening. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't have any idea what he was saying. <laughs> I think that's so funny in the Bible, where it's like uh, Jesus said this, and everybody was clueless as to what he meant. He's like, kind of like gives us the idea like, like something's not right. I mean, people around him going, something's not right with this guy. He's saying sheep, shepherd, and we get it, but we have no idea what he's saying. So he goes on, thank goodness, to explain what in the world he means. The scene is set. Verse 7, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, it's kind of like saying, listen, listen. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This is profound what Jesus is saying. I am the door. So the picture that's been painted in your mind, I am the door. So this idea of this door to heaven, it was not exclusive to Jesus' teaching. It appeared in other Jewish writings and in the Old Testament, certainly in apocalyptic literature. But what Jesus is saying is that I'm the way you access heaven. It's through me that there is real life. I love this idea that Jesus is our access to, to God. And uh, so today is uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Any Broncos fans out there? Any Panthers fans? All right, good. So I, I don't know anybody on either team, but I do have one friend uh, who plays professional football. We're very, very good friends. And, and there was a time where he played for the Kansas City Chiefs. And when I think of this idea of access, just to help paint the picture in your mind, I'll never forget a time I went to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, me and another guy who were friends with this man named Thomas Gafford. And, uh, and we went to the game, froze. It was in January. It was very cold. We had all those, you know, the hot pocket things you can wad up and like keep your stuff. We had them in our shoes, our hats, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was very cold. But anyway, so we get through the game and they won, thank goodness. And, uh, and afterwards, while everybody else was going to their car, having just spent a lot of money on a game and eaten some cheap food and, and, and frozen their toes off, we had access. We had this pass that we went up and because our friend had a special permission, he had special access, we were allowed to go with him into the locker room area. And let me tell you what was in that locker room area. It was the finest food you would find anywhere in that stadium. We had access. We walked around. I thought I was a big baller. I mean, I wanted people to think, like, do you play professional football? And I wasn't even close. Um, you know, but we got, we got, because we, had, we knew somebody that could help us get in, we experienced something that no one else did. And what Jesus is saying here is that through me, as the gate, you will experience the presence of the Father in a way that no one else can apart from me. So the invitation by Jesus in his claim that I am the door of the sheep or I am the gate, depending on your translation, is that we have access to the Father through him. And it's so simple, yet it's so profound. And in that place, the relationship with the Father through Jesus as the gate, John 10.10, you can have life and have it to the full. This is the claim of Christianity. Now, some people misrepresent this passage. You can have life and have it to the full by meaning you get to be rich. I wish that were true, <laughs> right? But it's not. It doesn't, doesn't mean that. Have life means to have eternal life, it means to be saved from the judgment for sin. And I appreciate you leading me, Pastor, in the time of singing through repentance because God's Spirit brought to my heart some areas of my own life I needed to repent of. I, I love it that we can have access to the Father for the Forgiveness, the cleansing of our sin, that happens through Christ alone. 
Through Christ alone, there's abundant life, the kind of life that everybody's looking for. People are foraging uh, for fruit in the city, maybe to find life, or wearing a unique T-shirt, as this woman who wrote Tiny Buddha suggests. But what I'm saying to you is that the claim of the Bible and the conviction of my heart in this church is that this kind of abundant life that we're all searching for is through Jesus Christ alone. And through Jesus as the gate, there is exclusive rights and access to the Father. All those that choose to enter the, through Christ get to experience that kind of life. And, and there are thieves. To me, in this passage, it's a little tricky to, to figure out what he's meaning by thieves. But he talks several times about it. And, and these thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy. And what we ought to know is certainly that there are thieves that are wanting to convince us that there's some other way to access a fulfilling life. There are thieves that are climbing over the walls um, trying to, to, to keep us from, from waiting for the voice of Jesus and following him to greener, greener pastures. Um, in, in the first century, when this was first heard, the thieves were probably re- other religious leaders, people that looked religious on the outside, Sadducees and the Pharisees, but in, inside they were dead spiritually, and so they were like keeping people or stealing from people real access to the Father through the truth of who Jesus is. And in our day, there are other kinds of thieves, things that can steal from us. And even if you follow Christ and have for some time, we're all tempted to believe that there is ultimate fulfillment in some way other than Jesus. I mean, you may have kind of like your Jesus thing checked off as a part of your week, um, but, but the question is, where are you wanting to access ultimate fulfillment in the presence of the Father? Is it through Jesus and in Christ alone? I, my observation, and certainly something I'm tempted by frequently, is, is, to, is to be fooled by the thief that says, if I just had more money, then I would experience full life. Or, or maybe the thief that, that says, if I could just find the right person to date. I don't ever ask that question anymore. I'm married, but maybe, maybe for you. Um, if I could find just the right person to date or just the right business partner, then I would experience the kind of life that I long for. Or maybe, maybe for you, um, it's something like, if I could just lose enough weight or look just right in my yoga pants, or if I could just look a certain way, then I would experience full life. These are all thieves, they will, they will rob you from what God has for you when Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the way to access the Father, to access fulfilling life. This abundant life is through Christ and Christ alone. It's made possible through Jesus. Well, he, he doesn't stop there. He goes on, actually, and he says some more profoundly powerful words. And he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd. Now, in this passage, hired hand would have been something less um, evil than a thief. A hired hand is just that, somebody who is is paid a little money to stand at the gate, make sure that the shepherds that are coming to get their sheep are the right ones. Well, the hired hand is somebody who has kind of like a casual commitment. I mean, it's a job, right? It's like not a big deal. So if there's a threat of violence or if things get difficult, the hired hand is out of there. I mean, it's not worth protecting the sheep or saving the sheep or helping the sheep to prevent them from being fooled by a shepherd or to be drawn out by the wrong shepherd. 
Verse 12, he was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I care about my people. This is a beautiful thing about God's presence in our life through Jesus is that there is such a nurturing, caring way about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a drawing, a gentleness about the way that God handles us through his spirit because of who Jesus Christ is. He's a shepherd. He cares about us. In this culture, most scholars believe that a shepherd would call his sheep by names. I mean, he would literally name them. And I don't know about you, I don't know what your experience of God has been like, but my experience has been greatly impacted by my own story of fatherlessness. And so I grew up in a home where I didn't have a relationship with my father, and so for me, as I've gotten older, this idea that God's presence is caring and nurturing and drawing and loving, and that his voice is not absent, nor is it harsh, is it abusive, is it demeaning? Is it, does it shame us? Instead, it draws us gently to himself. The hired hands will abandon us when things get difficult. But the Lord Jesus, as the good shepherd, lays his life down for us to protect us, to make a way for us. I have had some incredible experiences in the five years that we've been planting near town church. And I'll never forget one Sunday, I saw a guy who came in and I sat in the back row and I could tell he just looked like he had a rough season in his life. And he said, I'd like to meet with you tomorrow. I approached him and I could tell there was some tenderness in his heart. And so I offered to meet. And so we met the next day, the first words out of his mouth. I spent more money on drugs and women than you'll make in your whole life. I mean, that's a pretty gripping introduction. I'm like, well, hello, I'm Russell, you know. Um, and he began to tell me a story of having had some connection casually to the church as a child and then growing up with parents who experienced a lot of success in their business, and so he had access to a lot of resources that became his. He became a partner, one of four partners in a business that became a mega, mega success. So with all the money, he found a wife and they had two children. And in the midst of all of that, started using drugs, realizing that the, most, the perfect wife with two kids and the big house with a white picket fence was not enough. When things got difficult in his life, that hired hand abandoned him. And as he was sitting there and sharing with me how one Christmas Eve, just two years prior, he was strung out on the drugs and he got into a fight with his wife. And he says to her, you know, keep your mouth shut or I'm going to take all these presents back. And no one's getting anything. And she took the kids and left. For the next four months, he spent in the Four Seasons Hotel with illicit living, lots of drug, drug usage, 
until finally someone went and drug him out of the hotel room and drug him to a rehab. So my meeting with him was the first day after he'd gotten out of rehab that was only 30 days long. And what he said to me, I will never forget because he said to me, Russell, I have trusted in everything else for a fulfilling life. I've trusted in drugs and money and women and success and reputation. I've trusted in everything else, but it was only when I said, God, I have no other option but to trust you that God began transforming his heart. And for the next year of his life, I spent three or four days uh, a week with him, just mentoring him and helping him to understand God's grace and mercy and that God is the good shepherd and Jesus will not abandon him. He will not flee when things get difficult, even in the midst of his mess. I'm glad to say that he's now an active part of our church and is still in process, not perfect certainly, but God is doing something remarkable in him. If we would just believe that Jesus is not only the gate, but he's also the good shepherd. We would be convinced that when things get difficult, that we don't have to run to anything else, but we can trust that Jesus still has enough. He's so committed to it that he's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Certainly, this is a, a foreshadowing of what will happen just a short time after he speaks these words, where he goes to a cross for sins he didn't commit, to die for people that he loves, for people that he loves in the day that he was walking on earth and people that he loves every day since then until today. And Jesus says, I, as the good shepherd, will lay down my life for my people. He had in mind you and me. And you know who else he has in mind? People that are not of this flock. This is why we do church planting. He has in mind the people that are around you every single day in your workplaces where you play. He has people around you every single day who are not of the flock yet. They have not yet understood that Jesus is the gate to a fulfilling life. He is not, they have not understood yet that the way that the, we get access to God and the fulfilling life is made possible because Jesus shed his own blood. He laid down his life and he will not abandon us or leave us. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. There are people that are not of this flock and when Jesus says those words in John 10, he's certainly talking about the people that are non-Jews, some are Gentiles, but I think it also means that God has a heart for the people that are not yet his. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, it's very simple. My call to response is very simple today. I would just say to you, accept the invitation by God to enter into abundant life through Jesus Christ. Listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. There are so many voices in our heads, even those of you that have already repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. There are still so many voices all around. They come out of political candidates' mouths. They come off the internet, on Facebook. They come out of the lives in the mouths of people that you love that are not yet followers of Christ. There are so many voices, and what I would say to you is listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd who says, I am the way to a fulfilling life. I am the way to salvation. And you may say, and Taylor mention this, you may say, I'm too bad. Well, good news. You are not worse than many in the Bible who are people who have received salvation. This is one remarkable thing about the Bible. Many of the people that we think of in the Bible as being spiritually superior 
their lives include a part where they were far from God. They were murderers, the chiefs of sinners. So you cannot in, and be right, say, I am too bad. You may feel like that, but I want you to know that the Father is calling you to enter this fulfilling life through Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm, I'm going to try some other way. And I would say to you, there is no other way. Those hired hands will fail you. Do not waste another moment trusting in some other way. The thieves will kill you. People who are led by these false shepherds or depend on these hired hands will die. But Jesus gives life. Do not ignore the voice of Jesus. This is what we must do, accept the invitation. But I would also say to you, and this is a strong encouragement to you as you begin newly gathering, and I really have no idea who's new to this church since it began, and, but I know this. This city needs lots of churches. We need a rapid multiplication of churches because there's 2,500 people a week move to Houston. There is a great opportunity for us to declare, to herald. You don't have to look in any other place. A fulfilling life is found through and in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin and be saved from any other way so that you can be made at peace with God and experience this kind of life. So for you that are a part of this church already and know you're walking, what I would say to you, one of the most important things you can do, your part, your responsibility, in addition to helping set up and tear down and to be giving generously, is to feast daily as you follow Jesus. Now, the shepherd leads the sheep from the pen through the gate to a pasture, a place where they can feast, and the shepherd knows where to lead them. The sheep are clueless. Follow Jesus and you will feast. You'll experience the kind of life that you never thought possible. This means that you must spend time daily in God's word, in prayer and repentance and reading and study. You must do this. Do not think of this as an option for those that are just teaching classes. This means that you must be committed to this gathering and be always about feasting on Jesus and inviting other people in. This is the movement of God in the city, and this is what those of us that are in Christ must be about, feasting on Jesus and inviting people into this way of life. Certainly we trust that God's Spirit is going to call those who are his own. Commit yourselves. As I look back over the course of my journey having pastored this new church for five years and now being in a place where I get to, to just talk to leaders and church planners all over um, the greater Houston area and this area of church planting. What I know is this, for those of you that say, yes, I will choose Jesus as the gate. I will listen to his voice. I will commit to feasting on what Jesus leads me to in his word inviting other people in. For those of you that are willing to do that, you will experience the fulfilling life that God has set up for all people. This journey for you as you begin this
new gathering of believers and people who are not yet of the fold. This journey for you will be remarkable, and there will be a day when you lay your head on a pillow at night, about to breathe your last breath. Well, you'll look back and go, you know what? It was worth it. And someday, you'll remember the time that you showed up early and you met in a cafeteria, cafetorium, whatever this thing is called, and you were a part of what God was doing in the city of Houston for his glory and for his fame. And it was inconvenient, it was tiring, but it'll all be worth it. I pray that we will all see Jesus as the gate and the good shepherd. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's think about these things, and I'll pray. God Almighty, we love you. God, your word is always on. I pray, God, that you would help us to understand and to see more clearly what those who first heard this were confused by. And that is that Jesus is the gate, Jesus is the good shepherd. And I pray that any thing that has become like a hired hand to us, or any thieves that are trying to call us out to a different way, God, I pray that you would help us to see those things clearly, to reject them and to embrace Jesus as the way. I pray, God, for this church, that, God, it would be um, a gospel outpost in this area of the city. I pray for Taylor and Robin as they lead this movement and take on their responsibility as being the lead teachers and equippers of what's happening in this area of the city. God, I pray you would bless them. I pray that many people would come here. I pray that there would be many stories like I've shared with this man who came into my church broken and lost who encounter Jesus as the gate and the good shepherd, people whose lives will forever be transformed. God, forgive us for giving ourselves ultimately to other things for fulfillment. Help us, God, to see that where we work, play, and live is an opportunity for us to be about your work in the city of inviting other people to see Jesus as the gate and the good shepherd. God, we love you, and it's been a privilege to open your word. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.